perfect football Sunday. I don't know if this is a good idea. Oh, come on. It will be fine. Remember, we have to step out of our comfort zone if we're going to be better neighbors. I know, I know. But I hear this guy's a little crazy, real grumpy, and doesn't want to be bothered. It's going to be fine. All we have to do is introduce ourselves, give him this pie, and invite him to the barbecue. See, I told you he doesn't want to be bothered. He's in there. I can hear his TV loud and clear. Are you kidding me? Just leave it. Let, let's, let's go. Leave it. Let's go. What? We're the Smiths. We you live guys right do not the... look like Girl Scout, especially oh, no. you. <laughs> no. What is it no. that you're selling? We just would like to introduce ourselves. You our... don't want to talk politics, I hope. Yo. No. Oh, I just missed the touchdown. Oh, but... Okay, I'm sorry to bother you. We'll just leave the pie right here. Hope you like it. Oh, sorry. Oh, we're pulling out the barbecue tomorrow night. Hopefully you can come over. Okay, okay. Did you leave the note? Embarrassing. Yes, I left the note. It's all set. I'm gonna have to go to that barbecue. Well, good morning, Journey. Uh, yeah, you can clap for that, that's good. Logan uh, did a great job putting that all together. We had a lot of fun filming it and episode two is on its way. Oh, okay. Um, this morning we continue our series called neighboring. And we will be in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 9, uh, 14 through 29, if you want to get there. Uh, before we get to the text, I just want to ask you a question. Do you have a bad neighbor? Do you have a Richard in your life? Here's my guess. My guess is that two weeks ago when I asked you, do you have a favorite neighbor? It was pretty easy to come up with an answer that you've got a favorite neighbor. I think the question of do you have a least favorite neighbor, neighbor is also an easy one to answer. So that's what I'm asking this morning. Be honest with me. Who is your least favorite neighbor? Okay. If you're online, don't put it in the chat, please. Okay. And if you're in here, don't look around and try to find them. That's not okay. That's not appropriate. Okay. But I'm guessing that you can figure out who your least favorite neighbor is very, very quickly. 
So I got an experience I wanna share with you about 15, 16 years ago, my wife and I were starting to date and I was coming out here to Montana at the time, I was from Colorado and so I was beginning to fish the Gallatin River and love everything about it. And uh, one afternoon, I drove up the canyon and I pulled off into a parking spot, a pull off, and there was one other truck there. And being from Colorado, I thought, oh, there's not six cars there. I can still fish here. Because in Colorado, if there's like six cars, you just try to figure out how to fit your car in and then shoulder your way in and you combat fish. Okay. That's just how it works outside of a city of 5 million people like Denver. Okay. But here it's a little different. I didn't know about that until I got out of my truck, put on my waders, walked down into the river. And as I got down to the river, there was this, this old guy down there, okay? Gray hair, he had a hat on. He was downstream a little ways, maybe 50, 75 yards away from me. And as my toes touched the water, this isn't a church story, he turned upstream to me and he yelled, give me a hundred yards, expletive. Okay. I'm not going to say the word. Okay. You just fill in the blank for yourself. Okay. Non-church words, non uh, at home, plug your kids, three-year-old ears. Okay. Right. He yells at me and I'm like, I like this guy. That's what I thought. I just have this affinity for Richard. I have an affinity for grumpy old men. Like I know you're like, oh, you smile a lot. Yeah. But I have this secret wish. Like someday I want to be like a grumpy old guy who throws canes at kids for no apparent reason other than to scare them, okay? I'm just telling you, I want to be the world's worst neighbor someday, all right? So who's the worst neighbor for you? And then the question this morning, what do you do? What do you do with the world's worst neighbor? We're going to look at a really odd story to help us understand what do we do with the world's worst neighbor? Mark chapter 9. 14 through 29. Read along with me. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. If you think back two weeks ago, we were talking about the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, your favorite neighbor. They have come down from the mountain and this is what they encounter. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit and has been robbed of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. This was a very tender moment of Jesus. Okay, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If I can, said Jesus. It's like my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, have you heard of me? Okay, if I can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed, uh, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. 
But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and stood him up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Jesus, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's this old proverbial saying that says, good fences make, somebody help me, good neighbors. That's right. Good fences make good neighbors. I didn't do a very good job with this this morning at the nine o'clock. In fact, somebody uh, told me uh, if I was applying for a job in this construction company, he wasn't going to hire me. So that made me a little sad. So I'm trying to do a little better job here because one of them was real high, one of them was real low. But extra credit points for you if you can answer, where did this saying come from? Good fences make good neighbors. Anybody know where that came from? Okay, go back. Somebody, somebody said it. Who said it? Yeah. Robert Frost. There you go. I was going to say, let's go back to school. You're in school. Awesome. So Robert Frost wrote a poem called The Mending Wall. The Mending Wall. And the poem talks about two neighbors who each and every year met up with each other to mend their fence. They mended the fence together. They would come out and they would talk about what was going on and, and, and how they could uh, fix this fence together. And throughout the poem together, these two men are talking and the one neighbor keeps saying to the other neighbor, that was a little bit better than my first time. Okay. The neighbor keeps saying to the other neighbor, good fences make good Neighbors, which is paradoxical because they're having this wonderful, lovely conversation. They're fixing the fence together, but the one neighbor keeps insisting that good fences make good neighbors. I want to ask us a question What do we do with fences? Fences give us boundaries. I think that's a positive thing that fences do for us. They give us boundaries. They say, this is my property. This is your property. Uh, They just set boundary lines for us. I don't think boundaries are bad. I think boundaries are actually quite good, but they also keep things out, right? They keep things out of your yard. Like you don't want somebody else's dog pooping in your yard. You put up a fence so that they keep their dog in their yard. And if they don't keep their dog in their yard, you go on our Facebook page and then you post about your friend anonymously who lets their dog poop in their front yard, right? Okay, so I'm just saying, that happens, right? So what do we do with the world's worst neighbor? I actually think one of the things we like to do is put up fences, but I think Jesus wants to teach us something more about fences, how to use fences, and maybe how to peek over those fences and be a part of other people's lives, especially our neighbors. So I want to look at four neighboring insights from this interaction, four neighboring insights from this curious interaction with Jesus, this father, and this son. So number one, number one, Some of our neighbors are hurting more than we can imagine. Some of our neighbors are hurting more than we can imagine. When you look over the fence, what's going on over 
there? That's the question. What is going on over there? And here's what I want to tell you this morning. For some of your neighbors, it is more than you can ever imagine. The hardship and the hurt and the pain on the other side of this fence, it will blow your mind if you knew what was actually going on. Put yourself in this story. Jesus comes upon a father and a son and the son is possessed by a spirit. And Jesus says, how long has your son been like this? And he says, since birth. Can you imagine this? Put yourself in the shoes of the father. There's nothing that he can do in this moment. Some commentators believe that this kid had epilepsy, that he uh, would go into uh, uh, epileptic seizures. And because this is pre-modern medicine, there was just no, there was nothing to do about it, right? There had no way to cure that. There was no way to fix that. There was no way to take care of that. Now, I'm not saying diseases are necessarily possession. They're not, they're, don't, don't make that, um, don't draw that line. But here's what I also want to say. I want to say this man was dealing with something super duper heavy. Like this spirit that came upon him was trying to kill his son, throw him into the fire, throw him into the water. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine if you had to deal with that hardship your whole life? Sometimes as Christians, we give such crummy, easy answers to such complex problems. Think about your neighbors. Think about the ones maybe that make you nervous. The ones that scare you the ones that you don't want to be around, the ones that you want to create a barrier between you and them. Think about those folks and then consider this. Could it possibly be that they have more going on in their life than you could ever imagine? These are true stories. Uh, I had a neighbor at one point in my life who was a raging alcoholic. And he would get blackout drunk every night. And, and, and I had moments where I had to like, help him find his way from his front yard to his bedroom. Uh, I had to like lovingly be near to him and care for him in those moments. And you could be like, hey, you should stop drinking. Yeah, you could, you could say that to him. But then if you said, hey, why do you drink? Then you, what you would find out about him is that his brother was an addict and his brother overdosed and took his own life when he was a teenager and he was trying to cope. And the only way he could figure out how to cope was to drink alcohol every night until he was blackout drunk because he couldn't deal with the life that was in front of him. Did we have an easy answer to that complex problem, right? Just say no isn't easy enough for some of these complicated questions, right? It's just not easy enough. You can't imagine what some of your neighbors are going through. Some of your neighbors are going through that exact struggle. Some of your neighbors are in abusive homes. I had a neighbor that we knew had an abusive home. She was raped at a very young age by someone who should have been able to trust. She should have been able to trust. And that was her life growing up. And so everybody knew that there was something weird about that house, something weird going on over there. There are neighbors in your neighborhood who are hurting far worse than you can ever imagine. There are kids coming home getting beat up by their dad every other night. 
There are spouses that are fighting every night, every night, and they're considering divorce and it's hostile and it's horrible. And then they try to come out into the front yard and have a conversation with you or you try to bring them a pie and you wonder why they're so angry. It's so much more complicated than you can imagine. And part, part of why I know this is because like when you look into your neighbor's backyard and you see all that's going on, guess what? You can look into your neighbor, your neighborhood, your, your backyard as well, and know that you're a hot mess as well. Welcome to church, right? Like, you know this. I know this. Jesus saved me from so, so much. If I go my own way, that is the way of destruction each and every single time. And Jesus saved me from that. Because my life was chaotic. My life is chaotic. Your life was chaotic. It is chaotic. It is harder than we can imagine. And we oversimplify in these moments where we need to lean in, be compassionate, and listen for what's actually going on on the other side of the fence. Jesus asked a great question. How long has this been happening? You do realize that Jesus could have just said, hey, come out of him and been done with it. You realize that, right? But he didn't, he wanted to know more. Hey, how long has this been? How, how come you're hurting? What, what, what's going on deeper in your, your life and ends up having a conversation about belief with him? Could it possibly be that the life on the other side of the fence is much harder than you could imagine? I bet it is. Slide number two, point number two is this. There is an enemy, but it isn't your neighbor. This is the second thing we learn in this story. There is an enemy, but it isn't your neighbor. I said boundaries are a good thing. I think that there's a good reason to have fences. One of those reasons would be, hey, listen, if your neighbor next door is dangerous, right? That's okay to have boundaries around relationships. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But here's what's wrong. When we make our neighbor into the enemy and we vilify them, that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of Jesus. And I see this in spades right now. And we have got to quit it as a church, okay? We have got to stop it as a church or stop calling yourself a Christian. I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. Like if you turn people who are made in the image and likeness of God himself into the enemy, you have, you have missed the point. You've messed up. You're missing the whole entire point. Guess why? Because you're an enemy of God too, right? I'm an enemy of God too. And so here's the deal. We don't need to vilify people because we just vilify people because it makes us feel better because then we get to be the hero, right? Like if they're the villain, guess what I get to be? I get to be the hero, right? If they're bad, then I get to be, I get to be good. And that is not the way of Jesus, Jesus walks into this situation and he doesn't look at the boy and say, that evil little boy, he gets everything he deserves, does he? But we do this, right? Just be honest, we do this. We look at other people's lives and we're like, they're just getting what they deserve. Like they've just made bad choices, that's who they are. That's what they deserve. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He looks at the boy and his father with compassion and he recognizes something. There's an enemy, but it's not the little boy. There's an enemy in the midst, but it is not the little boy. Ephesians chapter six, Paul is teaching the church 
in Ephesus. And he's teaching them about the real battle, the real enemy. And he says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Do you hear that? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is teaching and Jesus is teaching that there is an enemy, but that enemy is not your neighbor. It's not your neighbor. I, I just want to leave that with you. Like, I think we demonize people. I think we vilify people. And we are not in a battle against people. Answer me this. Who does Jesus want to save? Answer me. That, that's right. Everyone. Not some of the ones, right? Not like the people that I like or the people that vote like me. Oh, that got hard. Okay, right? Who does Jesus want to save? Everyone. There is power in this world that is built to kill and steal and destroy you. There is a spiritual realm in this world that we need to take a stand against, as Paul would say. We need to stand against the evil forces. We have no problem putting up a boundary between us and evil. Us and the spiritual dimension that wants to kill us and take us out and divide us and hurt us as a church, as a community, as a country, and as a world. But we don't stand against people even if people are different. Even if people scare us, they are still made in the image and the likeness of Jesus. There is an enemy, but it's not your neighbor. The enemy wasn't the little boy. The enemy was the spirit that was terrorizing him. There is a war for your soul. There is a war going on for your neighborhood. There is a war going on for the lives of the neighbors around you, whether you love them, whether you don't love them, whether you like them, whether you don't like them. There is a war going on and you need to engage in the war, but pick the right enemy. Number three, this just dovetails right in. Sometimes we believe nothing is ever gonna change. Sometimes we believe nothing is ever going to change. We say things like this. Oh, that's just Frank. Frank lives over there. Frank's just Frank. Like, for, for, you know Frank. Like, Frank just Frank. Sally's just Sally. The, these people, they just, those people over there, they just do what they do because that's who they are. We may not verbalize that. We think that, right? We can get pretty self-righteous, pretty judgmental very quickly because we believe nothing is ever gonna change. Here's how hard it is. So in this story, Jesus is engaging with the father and the son and he says to the father, um, what, basically, what can I do for you? And the, and the father says, um, please help us take pity on us. And Jesus says, if I can help, have you heard about me? Like, I'm okay at miracles, right? So he says, everything is possible for the one who believes. And this is, I just love this. The, the boy's father is so honest, right? He says this, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Okay, answer me another question. 
Who can't Jesus save? Who can't Jesus save? No one. See, I think here's what we do sometimes. If we're really honest, we say that person is too far from the grace of God. They're never coming back. And then we vilify them and then we make an enemy of them and then we build a fence against them and we put them on this side because they, they're just gone. They're gone. How short is God's arm? Is it too short? Can it not get there? Who can he not save, right? Jesus says this over and over and over and over again. Nothing is impossible with God. What's impossible with God? Nothing. Can he help your neighbor who you think is beyond help? Absolutely. This kid has been dealing with this since the day he was born. Do you know how many people probably wrote him off? Oh, that's just that kid. He's gonna always be like that. Nothing's ever gonna change in his life. It's never gonna happen. Does Jesus say, yep, that's how it is? No, he says, I'm gonna change this right now. Nothing is impossible with faith. And this reveals our faith. This reveals our faith. If I can see in your life, in my life, that I believe that there's people that Jesus still can't save, I have a lack of faith. That's not their problem, that's my problem. Do you understand? That is my problem then. That is your problem then. If you believe that there are people that are too far from the reach of God, you have a lack of faith. I'm gonna try to be careful. There's landmines all over the place. But I'm gonna say this. Do you think it's possible that Jesus can heal this world? Or is it impossible? Do you think it's possible, stay with me, regardless of who wins in November, December, January? Okay, it's gonna be a long haul, hang in, okay, right? Do you think it's possible for Jesus to still accomplish his work, to still make his kingdom come and his, his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, regardless of who gets elected? Or is it impossible? Is it impossible? If, if your guy doesn't win, is it impossible? No, because nothing, nothing is impossible for God. See, we don't, we don't place our faith in worldly things. We don't place our faith in situations that look hopeless and helpless. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know what he did? He rose from the grave. You know anybody who did that? Nobody, right? People don't rise from the grave. Dead people stay what? Dead, that's what they do. They're really good at it, right? Jesus rose from the grave because nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. I'm excited about that. Somebody else excited about that? Okay, this is my five cups of coffee. All right. I'm onto water now, okay. Number four. Oh, I want to I wanna stay here for a little bit. Start with prayer. So Jesus' disciples are engaging with this dad and this son, and they're trying to help him. They're trying to like drive out this demon, and they can't. So Jesus shows up, and, 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 and so he has this uh, moment with this son and, and casts out the demon, and... Um, 
And so they have this quiet moment later where the disciples kind of pull Jesus aside and they go, Jesus, why couldn't we, why couldn't we drive out that, that demon? And Jesus responds by saying, this kind can come out only by prayer. This is Jesus, okay? This is Jesus we're talking about, right? And he instructs them and says, this kind of spiritual power can only be defeated by prayer. This impossibility can only be overcome with prayer. This thing that you knew you couldn't accomplish, you couldn't fix it, guess what? It can only be accomplished by prayer. I said this not long ago. Prayer is not retreat. Prayer is painting your face up like William Wallace charging into battle with your sword and swinging it like a crazy person, right? That's what prayer is. Can we just get rid of a statement in our church? We don't just pray, okay? We don't do that here, okay? If you wanna just pray, go somewhere else, okay? We're keeping it here. We're keeping it to the realness of prayer. We don't just pray. It's not this second thought. It's not this backdrop. It is the first thing that we do. I wanna apologize to you. We should have started this series with a a sermon on prayer. We should have. I messed it up. I planned the teaching. My bad, okay? You start with prayer. The bedrock of prayer. There are things that you cannot give to your neighbor that only God can give. There are things in your life that cannot be transformed by your hard effort, by your hard work, but only by the transformational power of Jesus. And so I wanna make this very clear. We are not in the behavior modification industry. Does that make sense? I don't want you to come to church or be in a life group or a journey community just so you get a little bit better. I want you to be a part of this so you meet Jesus. And I actually believe that Jesus can change everything. I think Jesus can change your life. I think Jesus can change your house. I think Jesus can change your neighborhood. I think Jesus can change our country however he needs to. I think Jesus can change our world for his kingdom and for his glory. And I think we should start with prayer. So literally this week, you're gonna pray, okay? You're gonna pray for your neighbor. And specifically, I want you to pray for your neighbor that you don't like, okay? You don't like them. You think they're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? That's fine. I want you to pray and then see what God does. This week's neighborhood challenge. Pray for every one of your neighbors. You can't imagine what's going on on that side of the fence. You can't imagine it. There, and there is an enemy, but it isn't. It isn't your neighbor. And with God, all things are possible. So let's pray. Please stand and let's pray together. Jesus, I ask that you would place right now in the front of our mind picture of 
that person or that household that we think impossible things are happening there. That house that we're afraid of, that house that is broken, that house that is fractured, the house that doesn't know you. I pray that you would put a picture of that home or of the faces of the people in that home even better right in our minds now. And we collectively lift those people to you, God. We offer them to you. They are made in your image and in your likeness. You love them so much. You gave everything you had for them. And we give so little. You're willing to die on that cross for them to redeem their life, to give them new life. And so we place them at the foot of that cross, Jesus. We know that you can do things far beyond our imagination. And so we ask that you would do that. We ask boldly, God, you would change their lives, transform them, and in transforming them, transform us. Make us believe, God. Make us those who have faith in things so much greater than what the world has to offer. Give us a glimpse, just a glimpse of your miraculous power. We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.